All right. I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet as we prepare for the message this morning. I believe the Lord wants to impart some important things to us. So uh, just join me as you ask the Holy Spirit to take charge of this time and to do a work in our hearts. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that your word is truth. And Lord, today we need more truth. We need the truth of the word of God, and we know that it is the word that changes us. Father, it's not just a, a wish, it's not just a hope, but it's, it's when we dedicate ourselves to the word of God, and even as your scripture tells us in Isaiah, that even as the rain comes down, the snow falls from heaven, accomplishes what, it had to, what you intended to do, which is to, to provide moisture for the earth, to allow there to be growth. In the same way your word is that has gone forth. And Father, we thank you that your word will today, we believe, take effect, have full effect in our lives. We ask you, Lord, cause your word to convict us, cause it to convince us, cause it to lead us and guide us even out of the paths of darkness we may be on. We pray that it would increase the light in our lives. We pray for the renewal of our minds and our thinking. Change our thinking to align with yours. Lord God, we pray for lives to be changed today. Transformation of lives. Someone who is listening or watching today uh, is not born again, doesn't have a relationship with you. We pray that today you'd reach deep into their heart, that you'd draw them and change them today. Father, there are those that are need comforting. There are those that this is a, a difficult time, a time of testing, a time of even sorrow or grief or loss. We pray, Holy Spirit, that your word and your spirit would combine together to minister to them. Whatever our need is and wherever we're at, Holy Spirit, have your way in this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Well, we've been in the middle of a series for December. Starting uh, the first week of December, it actually will finish today called The Light of the World. Light of the World. <clears throat> and I uh, want to make sure that you're familiar. If maybe you haven't been a part of this series up to now, I want to kind of bring you up to speed. Today I'm going to be speaking on the subject of shining in the darkness. Shining as lights in the darkness. A very practical, poignant message today that we all need to heed. But let me just give you a very, very quick series review so you know what we've talked about up to this point. So what have we learned so far? Well, first of all, we learned that God is light. Amen? The Bible says God is light. We learned that God created light. Let there be light. And there was light. He is the creator. He's the source of all light. We've also learned, as we saw, that there's a distinction made in the Bible between light on one hand, darkness on the other. Generally speaking, light refers to things that are good, things that are righteous, things that are divine, and darkness refers to things that are evil or things that are of the kingdom of darkness. And there is a huge distinction between light and darkness. We said that darkness is defined as what? It is simply the absence of light. That's what darkness is. And there are many people who are living in that darkness today. Then we learned also that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. 
He declared in John 8, I am the light of the world. And Jesus Christ was the light of the world as God sent his son in human flesh to come to be here and live among us on this planet. He brought the light of heaven to earth. He brought the light in that he got involved with people. He was a people person, people who had no hope, people who were being abused, people who were being misused, people who were living in bondage, all of a sudden met Jesus. Jesus, who is the light of this world, and he brought life into their situation. People who were hungry for even social change, Jesus gave them hope and said, put your trust in me, follow after me as my disciples. Jesus was the light of the world. He brought light into the lives of people who were bound by demonic powers, who released and delivered through the power of Jesus. He was the light of the world to people who were demonized. He was the light of the world to people who were sick and ill and in disease, whether it be the blind or the deaf or those who even had died that he raised from the dead because why? He was the light of the world. His teaching shook religious traditions and brought reality and truth to people who needed it. He was the light of the world in his message and his good news and his proclamation that the kingdom of God has come. Jesus Christ was and is the light of the world. And then we learned last week that when we come to Jesus Christ, something dramatic and radical happens to us. We are actually moved and transferred out from under the dominion of darkness where we have all been born and live. Some of you even today may still be living in that dominion. But Colossians teaches us that Jesus Christ has come to deliver us, to move us out of the kingdom of darkness and to rescue you and put us into the kingdom of light. Move from the dominion of darkness now to the kingdom of light. How many of you think that's an upgrade? That is an upgrade. Amen. It is an upgrade. And now we are children of the light. And we learn that Satan still rules as the prince of darkness and the god of this world. And it's interesting also, we didn't note this last week, but it's interesting that the Bible even tells us that Satan masquerades himself. Because he's a deceiver by nature, right? And how does he choose to masquerade himself? As an angel of light. Isn't that interesting? Even the devil knows how good light is, how attractive light is, how powerful it is. And he knows that if he can disguise himself and deceive people by masquerading himself as an angel of light, when in reality, he is the prince of darkness. But there are demons that will come to deceive people and to lead them away from the truth, to deceive them into all kinds of what the Bible calls doctrines of devils. And there are an abundance of doctrines of devils that are available for people that suck people in because they think it's the light and it's really darkness. So Satan rules over the darkness. Jesus rules over the kingdom of light. And thank God as born again Christians, if you've received Jesus Christ, his light now dwells in you. And we'll touch on this again in a moment. So before we get to our text this morning, our primary text, I want to tell you a story. One of the men that I highly regard and respect as a leader in the body of Christ, and I just, ha- I just have all the, all the respect in the world for him, is Dr. Tony Evans from Dallas, Texas. And he's been pastoring a, a, a wonderful church there in the south part of Dallas for many, many years. I heard a story that uh, Dr. Evans told many, many years ago, and I want to just repeat it 
Uh, if I had a better story, I'd tell it about myself, but I can't outdo this story that Tony told. So Dr. Evans told the story of uh, back in August of 2003, he and his wife had gone to New York City for a time of R&R, break. That was their place that they wanted to be. So they took a trip to New York City, live in Dallas, took a trip to New York City, had a wonderful week together, all the lights and, the, and, and Broadway and all the shopping, and they just had a blast with all the things that they wanted to do in New York City. They came to the end of the trip, and they uh, were taken to LaGuardia Airport to fly back to Dallas. And they were outside on the curbside, trying to do curbside check-in at the airport, and they had their bags, and they're waiting in line. He says it was quite a long line, and they waited, and all of a sudden, five minutes passes, 10 minutes passes, 15 minutes passes, and they realize this line ain't moving. There's something wrong. So he broke ranks, and he went around and talked to one of the check-in guys there at the curb, and he said, can you tell me what's wrong? He said, well, sir, something dramatic has happened. We don't know exactly, but all power has been lost. It was about four o'clock. He said, all power has been lost. We have no more power. Our computers are down. Our check-in procedures are down. Uh, the airport right now, it doesn't look good. In fact, your flight, we don't think any flights are going to get in and out of LaGuardia for the rest of the day. Well, immediately, uh, Dr. Evans uh, said, bet, I, bet, I better act quickly on this. Here, we're stuck here. We're out of our hotel, ready to go back home. And so immediately called his assistant and said, you got to find me a room and find it quick. So she was able to call him back in just a few moments, said, I was able to get you one. There's only one room available that I could find. It's at the Crown Plaza Hotel, close to LaGuardia. And you go there, there's a room reserved in your name. Now, now get there quickly. They said they're only going to hold it for 10 minutes. They'll hold it for 10 minutes. And so he immediately got his wife, got their luggage, grabbed the closest cab that he could find, and said, get me over to the Crown Plaza Hotel now. The cab drove, it was getting later in the day, and uh, as lights began to dim, by this point, it was later in the afternoon and when it began to be dark. They pulled up to the Crown Plaza Hotel. They noticed that everything around them had turned dark, and there was no lights at the Crown Plaza. There was no power. All they could see was dim and darkness all over the hotel. Someone actually had to come out, bring them in with their luggage with a flashlight to lead them into the hotel lobby. They walked into the hotel only to see that everybody else uh, had flashlights or a candle. And they gave them a room, that the room that they were holding for them, and they had to lead them to their room by a flashlight. Gave them the room key. They went to the room. It was totally dark. They gave them one candle so they could have light in the room. They put the candle in the light, and uh, Mrs. Evans said, well, at least I'm going to go open up the curtain, see if there's any light shining anywhere. She opened up the curtains, and everywhere they could see all over the city was dark. Do you, any of you remember this is a actual, it was noted in 2003, August of 2003, there was one of the largest blackouts in, in the Northeast and even into Canada. Some of you may remember that. It was a severe electrical grid block blackout, and uh, this was they happened to be in New York City when it happened. They opened up the curtains to look to see if there was any light anywhere. They looked. All they could see was dark. Everything was dark. And all of a sudden, uh, Dr. Evans looked on one side and he said, wait a minute, I see some light over there. The Marriott Hotel had lights. 
And he said, look at that hotel. It's full of lights. In the midst of all this darkness, look at those lights. It's shining just as bright. Signs on. All the, all, the, all the windows have lights in them. Something's going on. I'm going next door to find out. He goes down with his flashlight, goes downstairs in the lobby, walks down the street to the local, uh, to the Marriott. He walks in. He said, I walked up there. He said, it was just as normal as it could be. Everybody's partying, having a good time, enjoying dinner. Everybody, you know, is in the lobby. He said, I walked into the front door of the lobby of the Marriott Hotel. There's TV screens up there. There's CNN and all other news networks saying, there's a great blackout all across the Northeast. He said, but there was light in the Marriott. There was power in the Marriott. He said, it was amazing to me. He said, I figured immediately I realized we, we're in the wrong hotel. <laughs> we're in the wrong hotel. He went and found an assistant manager and, called and said, sir, I, I need to, first of all, I want to ask, I, I ask you about getting a room. He said, but I've got to ask you something more important. How in the world, in the midst of all the darkness that's going on, in the midst of a total blackout, how in the world does Marriott LaGuardia have light and power? What is your secret? How can this be? The assistant manager said, everybody's been asking me that. He said, you see, when this hotel was originally designed and engineered, it was designed to have a system in place that would serve as a backup system that was gas-powered, not dependent upon electricity, not dependent upon the electrical grid that the rest of the city had, but it has an immense power source that we built internally into the structure. And the moment that any electrical power is lost, instantly our system kicks in and we never ever lose power because we have our own inherent power within. He didn't get a room there, but he said it did teach him an important lesson. Folks, we live in an incredibly dark world. We live in a dark, dark world. And everywhere you look, it's darkness. I mean, it's moral darkness. There's socially, uh, we could be discouraged by seeing darkness here and there. We look at the proclivity and the propensities towards addiction and substance abuse. And, and economically, we have concerns and all kinds of darkness around the world that we live in. But the truth of the matter is that you and I, if we know Jesus Christ, there is something built in. Can someone say amen? There is something built into us that is not dependent upon this world system, that is not dependent upon our culture, that's not dependent upon legislation, that's not dependent upon a stimulus check. It is dependent on one thing, and that is that the light of God dwells on the inside of you and me. It isn't dependent upon whether anybody else is in darkness. It is built in and it is totally inherent. Yes, we're living in a dark place. We're living in a dark hour. And it concerns me greatly that I believe, frankly, that the church of Jesus Christ is part of the problem. Part of the problem is the fact that the church has never risen to the occasion to be the light that God has called us to be. And I think we have to accept some blame for that. But let's look at the words of Jesus as we can today. 
in Matthew chapter 5, this is my primary text for today, and it's a well-known scripture, but it's one I really want you to lock in on. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. You can read on your devices. It's also there on your screen. Jesus' words. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put light, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it up on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. I'm going to repeat that. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and they may glorify your Father in heaven. What a powerful admonition and word of truth that Jesus gives to each and every one of us. He's saying to you and to me today, you are the light of the world. Isn't it amazing that he in John chapter 8 said, he declared what? I am the light of the world, but now he says, you are are the light of the world. How can such a thing be? And we'll explain that even more this morning. But Jesus called us the light to be the light of the world. Now here's what I'd like to do this morning. I want to point out several things. I thought it might be helpful to review something I introduced a couple of weeks ago. And that has to do with the effects of light. In other words, what is the actual function of light? Why light? Why should we appreciate, value light? Why do you think Jesus used light as a metaphor to instruct you and me? So let's review. I gave to you three effects of light, and I'll review them with you now. Number one, because light illuminates the darkness. Number one, it illuminates. What do I mean? Walk into a room, light a candle, what happens? It illuminates. It brings light to the room. It is the nature of light to illuminate darkness, whether it be an electrical switch, whether it be a candle, whether it be a flashlight. When you turn light on in darkness, what does it do? It illuminates and dispels the darkness. I was thinking about this and just want to point out a couple of observations about the illumination of light. We know that light carries an enormous influence. In this text that we read from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is actually using two things, two metaphors to convey something to the people about influence. Both of them have to do with influence. He's saying you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. Notice that both light and salt, the bottom line message of both is the same. It is what? You are supposed to have influence influence. Everybody say influence. It is the nature of light and its illumination to have influence on everything that is around it. When you turn on the light, it influences it. Secondly, it has an immediate impact. It has an impact on what can take place in a room. It has an impact on what takes place in a community. When there is light, things, good things happen. When there's darkness, typically bad stuff happens. Light has an immediate impact. Also notice that light is usually noticed instantly. Jesus said the light, he used this in his illustration. He says, if you have a town, a city, you put it up on a hill. Why? You want people to see it. 
You want the light to be able to shine. It's to illuminate. So put it where people can see it. Then he drew an illustration from a city now to your own house. He said, even in your own house. He said, if you have a light, you light a lamp, you light a candle, you have a flashlight, you want to do what? If you want to cover the room, if you want to increase the influence of it, what do you do? You put it up high. Have you ever noticed when you walk into a structure, if we take it for granted, where lights are generally positioned in a room? I mean, sometimes you find some strange architect that puts them on the floor. But typically speaking, lights are where? Yes, we have some on the wall here too. They're in the ceiling. Why? Because the higher it is, it's able to influence a greater area, right? And light, the moment that you walk into an area that is lit, you notice it. I bet the first week that you see this, this beautiful uh, decorated stage, we have such a wonderful team of people that help to uh, come up with these ideas. And the moment that you walked in, you saw the Christmas decorations in the building and, 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 the, and the change of the stage and the, this manger that has all these strange lights sticking in it. Uh, immediately you went, wow, didn't you? Huh? And, and it immediately brought at least your attention to it. Why? Because light is noticed. Put a, put a city full of light on a hill, people notice it. There's no lights in the city and it's up on a hill, doesn't matter. No notice. Are you getting the point? What's Jesus wanting to do? He wants us to realize he's called you and me to have influence and to be noticed. Now, we also know that light not only illuminates, but there is another purpose effect of light, which we'll simply call it light exposes. It exposes the darkness. Number one, it illuminates darkness, but also exposes things that are in the dark. It is the nature of a light. There can be something that is dangerous in a room or in a pathway or on a street. There could be something that's very dangerous. And if you're, for example, if you're driving down the road and you don't have your lights on your vehicle and it's a dark night, what's, what's, what possibly could happen? You might hit something. A deer jumps out in front of you and wham! All because why? You didn't have your lights on. Because why? Light exposes things that you need to see that are in the darkness. Light exposes things in the darkness. Many years ago, I think it was the second year <clears throat> of my marriage to Carrie, and we had rented a little house. We were so excited about it. It was out in the country. It was a little rock stone house. It's very old and old style of construction. It was sitting on five acres of land with a little pond. We thought we had died and gone to heaven. We were so happy, just her and me, and, and we were raising chickens and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And so this little house, this old little stone house, was built and designed, who knows what year it was designed designed in, but it was one that there was a porch. You walked in the front door. When you walked in the front door, all you could see was a hallway from the front door all the way to the back of the house. Not the most aesthetic design that people would like today, but during those days, it was very common. It was a long hallway, and then off of the hallway were the rooms. It wasn't a large house. Our bedroom was at the front of the house, and there was only one bathroom in the entire structure. Guess where it was? at the rear of the house. At the very back of the house was the restroom. Don't ask me who designed it, but that was the, what, it, what it was. And we were just so happily married, we didn't care. I remember one night in particular that 
it was quite dark. It was out in the country, and there weren't the lights, city lights of street lights going on. So it was dark around us. And in the middle of the night, this particular evening, I needed to get up about 3 a.m. and take a, a, a visit to the bathroom. So I get up and made the decision. I didn't want to disturb Carrie. And as I walked into the hall, I thought, I'll just make a beeline for the bathroom. It's a straight shot. Who can miss it? And I'll just go. I won't turn the light on at all. Take care of my business. Turn around, come back, go back to sleep. I'm good. I take off down the hallway, and I remember moving at a pretty brisk pace. I was confident of the layout of the room and the hall. There was nothing in the hall at all. And I went down, and about the time it was where I needed to make a left turn to go into the bathroom, this house was built, oh, who knows, but it was built well. And it had hard wood finish work in it. And when you turned into the restroom, there was a corner between the restroom and the hall. And it was a, it was, you know, where they came together right at the corner and here was the door and it was hard wood. And I remember making the left turn and and any of you been driving before and you misjudged when you made a left turn and you misjudged and you, you, you drove up onto the sidewalk. How many of y'all done that? Come on, confess your sins. All right. A few of you. I'm, I cut it a little short that night turn left to go straight into the bathroom, and instead of getting into the door opening, boom, went smack into that corner of that wood door and hit it right here in my head. Went, I mean, just went boom, just like that. I hit it so hard. I was dizzy. I was spinning. I, I mean, it didn't totally knock me out, but I mean, I was struggling big time to figure out what was going on, only to realize when I went back uh, to our bedroom, uh, that blood was gushing out of my head. And you know how head wounds are. I mean, blood's just everywhere. Carrie screaming, having a fit, and call the hospital. I said, no, 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 no. Anyway, so we took care of it. It wasn't a big deal. And, uh, but, and I don't even think, I mean, it left a scar for many years, but it's all healed up. But I still remember the story. <laughs> all that to simply teach us what? If I had turned on the light, I would have never made that error because the light exposes everything. Am I right? Let's look at another point. Number three, light attracts. This really relates directly to what we're going to talk about this morning because God wants you and me to be attractive. He wants us to attract, not turn away, but to attract. And I think we have some responsibilities. When we really understand these three purposes and effects of light, number one, it illuminates. Number two, it exposes. Number three, it attracts. It leads us to a sense of responsibility. It should lead us to a sense of responsibility. And I may I suggest to you this morning, there's a threefold responsibility as it relates to, uh, as it relates to light and what the Bible tells us that we're to do. And some of this is a little bit of review of what we have said in previous weeks, but I want to reemphasize it today. Number one, our first responsibility is we are called to receive the light. We are called to receive the light. Now, Jesus said, I am the light. But we actually must make a choice to receive the light because he says, I want you to be the light of the world. Well, guess what? In order to be the light of the world, we have to receive light in us. By the way, some people think just being around light is enough. They think just going to church 
is sufficient. You may go to church and be around people who are real bright, bright lights, but that's not enough. You have to individually receive the light yourself. Exposure to the light, not enough. You must make the choice to actually accept the light yourself. We are called to make Jesus Christ our source of light on the inside of us. You see, every one of us are born in darkness. Can I hear an amen? We are born in sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have been born into a dark place. We have dark souls. We have dark graffiti written over our souls, our experiences, our life, uh, uh, things that we've gone through. Darkness. And there's only one thing that can illuminate that. There's only one thing that can make a difference, and that's what? Inviting and receiving the light of Jesus Christ into your life. My friend, if you've never done that, I hope that you'll do it today. That is our first responsibility, to accept and receive the light. Number two, Not only are we called to receive the light, but we're called to live in the light. That was last week's message, living in the light. Now let me remind you what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 5 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Or this has to do with what? How you walk. Your walk. Your lifestyle. You are supposed to, as Christians... We used to be dark, but now we're light. And he calls us to live like it. And you can see that in the end of that same section of Scripture, verse 8, and then skip down to verse 11, it says, live as children of light, take no part. Does everybody read that clearly? Take no part. Do not participate. I told you last week it's the opposite word for koinonia. It means no communion, no sharing together. It is the opposite of what we know is godly koinonia. It's saying have no partnership at all with darkness and worthless deeds. Instead, Paul says, expose them. We actually have so much light that we should be exposing the darkness. I like John's writings about light. He really focuses on it in all, uh, in both the gospel as well as his letters. And I like 1 John chapter 1 that talks to us about walking in the light. Let me just give you a part of it. And it says this, but if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Let me emphasize this. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, so the admonition is what? Practical behavior, conduct. If we'll walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. It goes on to say this. If you walk in darkness, let me me rephrase it. If you don't have fellowship with one another, let's say your fellowship has been broken by resentment, hurt, Bitterness, disagreement, wounds, trauma. If you live with those kinds of things in your life, guess what? You're walking in a degree of darkness in that area. You may be a child of the light in the fact that you're saved, born again, but you're walking in some measure of darkness and literally groping around in darkness because you're living with resentment and a lack of love in your heart. 
If you walk in the love that God gives to you, you'll have fellowship with other people, get along with other people, and the Bible says, therefore, you're walking in the light. How many of you know that's important that we get along? But the only way you can really, how many many of y'all know, there are some people just hard to get along with. Nobody in this room, but there are other people out there that are hard to get along with. And the only way to get along with them, I'll tell you right now, the only way, I don't know how people who don't have the light, I don't know how they do it. But the only way is to love people the way God loves them and to respond to them and forgive them and release them and do exactly what the Bible tells us to do. We are called to live in the light. Number three. So I've given you two responsibilities. The first is what? We have to accept and receive light. Number two, we have to live as the light. Walk in lightness, in the light. Number three, we are called to reflect the light. Now, notice that I chose to use the word reflect here, not just shine, but the word reflect. Remember what the passage says in Matthew chapter 5 that we already read. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And he goes on to say what? Let your light shine before others. The answer to the question, how can Jesus be the light of the world and we also be the light of the world, is very simple. And that is, once we receive the light, like the Marriott Hotel, we've got the light already in us. And it is not dependent on outside conditions, outside forces. We have the light in us. The best illustration of that today is in our universe. We know that the source of light for our universe is found in the sun, right? And we know that the planets in our universe and even our moon are reflections of the sun. The light emanates from the sun and the planets and our moon simply reflect the light of the sun. They don't have light inherent in and of themselves, but it is the reflection from the sun. You and I get to have the reflection of the S-O-N, who is the source of all light. But when he chooses to come and live on the inside of you, your invitation, he brings his light in you. And now you are able to, through your body, through your mind, through your motion, through your behavior, through your lifestyle and your choices, we now can reflect that light in darkness. And I'm telling you, there's plenty of darkness for us to shine our light in. Jesus is the source of light in the world, but as his followers, we are to reflect it. Now, there's one point that Jesus makes in that Matthew 5 text I want to point out. Notice that he challenges us when he tells us we're light, we're the light of the world. He makes this emphasis, don't hide it. It's very clear. He's saying, he he doesn't actually make it in the form of a command. What he says is, there doesn't make any sense. Makes no rational sense at all for you to have a lamp, to have a lamp that is lit, and for you to hide it. The purpose is what? To illuminate, to expose, to attract. Why would you want to have light and hide it under a bowl? If you have a beautiful city and it's lit up, you want to make sure it's up on the top of the hill where everybody can see it. Jesus is making a very logical argument. He's saying, why in the world would you not want to shine your light? But yet the reality is that many Christians, 
In fact, the church as a whole, for the most part, has been guilty of keeping the light under, hidden, veiled, covered. If you want to talk about the salt metaphor, we are the salt of the earth, but we've been keeping it in the salt shaker. We got to let the light out. Don't veil it. Don't cover it. Don't keep it in these four walls. Let it out. Shine it bright as he commands us to do. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others. I think it's very tempting today in the darkness that we live in, in our culture, in our world, to rail against darkness. It's easy to complain about how dark it is. And I'm here to tell you, I'm generally an optimist. I'm generally faith-based and positive. But even I will slip very easily into a very critical negative outlook that says, oh my God, it is so bad. And then I think that somehow we fall into the habit of thinking if we simply complain about it. If we rail against darkness enough, whether it be in your post or your words are your conversations. We simply rail against darkness. It's going to change something. It'll never change darkness. Someone once said, I'd rather have one candle lit in darkness than to curse it. Don't waste your time cursing darkness in that manner. Don't waste your time just railing about it and complaining about it. Be light. Light is the answer for the darkness. Let's just turn on, uncover the light, and it'll make the best difference. It's better to light one candle than to curse the darkness. So you say, well, how do we do that? How do we shine our light? I don't know. Tell me. I see what Jesus is saying. Tell us, yeah, I know I have light. I'm the light of the world. He's the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. I receive the light. It's in me. How am I supposed to shine it in the darkness? He tells us exactly how to do it. Remember, you're reflecting what's already in you. But this is what he tells us to do. In the scripture, it made it very clear what we're to do. And I just thought I would kind of simplify it in these words. Number one, demonstrate the love and power of God. Demonstrate. Everybody say demonstrate. That's the key word. Demonstrate the power and the love of God. This is what the apostle Paul had arrived at when he was obviously, he was to be a light to the Gentiles. He was sharing the light of God everywhere he could. This is what he said to the church at Corinth. He said, when I came to you, I came to you in weakness and in fear and trembling. I was freaking out. How in the world am I going to reach these people in the midst of an ungodly, idolatrous place like Corinth? He said, but my message and my proclamation were not with wise, fanciful, persuasive words, but instead I came to you with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's how I convinced you. If I just give into you fancy words, if I just offer good rhetoric, if I just offer you some grand speech, you would have listened, you would have argued, you would have baited, and you would have never been convinced. But when there was a demonstration of the Spirit's power, it won you over and it convinced you that what I was saying was truth. He goes on to say, I did that so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Too many people, too many of us as Christians 
are not making use of the demonstration of God. You say, well, how do I demonstrate it? There are a number of ways. First of all, you demonstrate through your lifestyle. We've talked about living as lights. You demonstrate it. I've heard it said before. People have said, I'd rather see a sermon rather than hear one any day. Y'all say, yeah, that's particularly true with you, Pastor Bobby. Uh, I'd rather hear, I'd rather see a sermon. But the point is what? We want to see people live it. We're not interested in just talk, 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 talk. I'm tired of listening to talk. I want to see someone who actually walks it, who lives it. Show me something by your life. Show me something that is attractive and different about your life. Or else, why should I be interested in it? If you're not showing any more love than common people, than unbelievers, than pagans, why should I be attracted to that? God has given to us every resource. He's put the light on the inside of us, but we have to let it shine through our behavior, through our words, through our actions. We can demonstrate his love and power through our actions. Also, through doing supernatural things. Through miracles, signs, and wonders. You say, well, I don't do that kind of stuff. Holy Spirit does. Holy Spirit does those things. The Holy Spirit can heal sick people. Holy Spirit can reveal to you through a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or a gift of discernment what's going on in someone's life, even though you have no natural knowledge. The Holy Spirit is more ready to work through you to do miracles, supernatural things than you can imagine. He, why? Because he cares about these people. He cares about people living in darkness. He wants to reach them with his love and his power, but he needs you and me to reflect it through what we do in our demonstration. Now, the second statement is we do it through sharing the uh, transforming truth of the good news. Yes, it's not just enough. I, I, I see people all the time that, that get involved in good deeds, and they think that's enough. It's not enough. You have to add to good works and good deeds. You've got to add good news. Good deeds, good news. No one is ever going to be saved just by giving them a meal. But it might open up their eyes to listening, hearing the good news. The good news will change their life forever. So we are to do both, as we did last night in this beautiful little community. Taking them, showing them the love and the kindness of God through our actions. But in addition to that, we're building credibility. You want to know why they came out of their trailers last night? You want to know why they interacted with the people, those of you who went physically? Because we've been establishing a credible relationship of trust over the last several months. That's why when we go back again and the door is open, not just to their home, but to their hearts, and they want to know why, how, why do y'all do this? Why do you keep coming back? Why do you keep bringing us food every week? Why? Because it's the love of God, and God loves you so much that he sent his only son to die. If you'll just pray with me today, you can become a new person, a new creature in Christ. Into the darkness, we must be prepared to share the love of God, not only in deed, but also in words. Oh, listen, my friend, the truth of Jesus will transform our lives, as most of you already know. Now, that's how you do it. And notice it's twofold. It's demonstration plus proclamation. It's both. It's not either or. It's both and. And we need to be active, shiny light into darkness. Let me just share one more application of this and we'll close. 
You might say, well, where do I do this? I don't really know. What's the starting point? There's three areas that you need to shine your light. Number one's in your own home. Don't let your family go to hell. God forbid that you'd be so silent, so keeping that light hid so much that your own family doesn't know the truth. God forbid that you would act so ungodly, so out of control, so much hatred, so much filthy words and language that your kids would doubt whether or not you know God. Let's bring the light into our own homes, our marriages, our families, our children, our extended family. Make your home, make it a place of prayer. Make it a place of praise and worship. Make it a place where the word of God is preeminent and it always is first place. Take the light into your own homes. Number two, into your workplace. I don't care where you work, there's a place that you can shine your light. I don't care what your job is, whether you own a company or you work for a company or wherever it may be. I don't care what denomination you're a part of. I don't care whether you're Baptist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Catholic, or pagan. Jesus Christ can so fill you with his light that you can take it into dark places in the workplace and shine that light so that other people come to Jesus. I recognize that you have to be wise and smart. And don't be going in there and during your work time, you're supposed to be working eight hours a day and you're sitting there reading your Bible. Don't be doing that. That ruins your witness. Don't be praying when you ought to be hammering, but you can pray and hammer at the same time. So remember, be light even on the workplace. You can be the light of God wherever you are. And thirdly and final in our community. And community means not only here in your neighborhood, in our 757, but even to the ends of the earth. We can let our light shine. Listen, I'm so glad that we are a church that cares about those that are living in darkness, both here and to the ends of the earth. And God holds you and me responsible to reflect the light. I want to close with that scripture once again. Jesus' challenge is this way. Let your light shine before others. What's the result? That they'll see your good deeds. See, that's the, that's the works part. And then they'll glorify your Father in heaven. If you shine your light bright enough, they'll be attracted to the source. They'll be attracted to God himself. Isn't that our objective? We grew up, many, some of us in Sunday school, singing a little song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Listen to me. It's a cute song, but only means something if you do it. Let us all, let our lights shine bright. Would you stand to your feet with me, please? As you bow your heads, and I pray for us all. If you're here this morning, whether you're viewing through streaming or whether you're here in this building and you're living in darkness, maybe it's because you've never really invited light to come into your heart. You can do it today. And if you're not certain whether or not Jesus Christ lives on the inside of you, pray this simple prayer with me and mean it with your heart. Dear God, today, 
forgive me for my sins. I know I'm a sinner and I'm in need of your love and your grace. I invite you today to come into my life and be my Savior and be my Lord. I turn away from my past life and I choose to follow after you, Jesus. Today, I put my faith in the reality that you died and was resurrected for me. I accept that right now in Jesus' name.